I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. History has shown us some incredible minds. Leonardo da Vinci, Albert Einstein, Craig Forrest. Fuck off. <laughs> this is Footy Prime, the podcast. Let's get this party started. <laughs> I've discovered the, the problem with the microphone, though, is the there's actually a loose wire. Mm, loose wire. Unless I, unless I pull it. Unless I pull it, <laughs> I can't get it to light up. That's the best opening we've ever had. We, <laughs> should have, we should have banked, voiced, finished, uploaded, rendered, and uh, and downloaded this podcast by now. But instead, we're about to start. Welcome to Footy Pine, the podcast, everyone. The most frustrating podcast so far. Trying to coordinate through all these new software programs be it what what zooms of course and you got the the restreams it's very confusing for all of us in fairness so we shouldn't single out craig at times we've all had our issues dunlop for example every week has issues with this internet feed still not great well craig. hopefully we think that that <laughs> <laughs> that has changed that has changed now guys it's totally different I, i've got it all corrected now <laughs> Oh, God, I hate this technology. Anyway, welcome to the show. And it's uh, kind of Footy Prime does the Euros. We're getting set for that tournament that should have been played this time last year. We're we'll tossing Canada Aruba as well. Any Beach Boys fans out there listening on the podcast? I actually saw the Beach Boys at the Fox Theater in Detroit. I think it was my first concert. I was a kid, and I had some like sickness, and I fell asleep. My mom loves to retell that story. I was That's a pretty good story. That's a good first concert, old. actually. Six years old, but I fell asleep. I saw them in 1986, and they were old then. Yeah. And, then, uh, and that was when they were in Cocktail. That was the song from Cocktail, correct? That's Aruba. Tom Cruise, yeah, yeah. Of course. With... Uh, the girl from Karate Kid, Elizabeth Shue. That's um, right. You know what? I'm not even been after that. I, this is uh, the announcer, JC, here. Uh, I saw the Beach Boys at Harris Park in London, Ontario in uh, 1994, and they weren't the Beach Boys because, for, legally, they had to be called the Beach Boys Experience with Mike Love. Really? Yes. Legalities, eh? Ruining the creative process as per usual. Well, wow. well, there you go. Who knows? Who knew that we'd start this this podcast talking about the Beach Boys? But there you have it. We will get to Canada, Aruba later, uh, and wherever else picks our fancy. Uh, Copa America kicks off soon as well. By the way, 
Um, so far, a shaky beginning to Dunlop's internet feed, though. Hasn't been yeah. great. You got to be specific here. I thought you were reacting to my Beach Boys falling asleep. Is my no. internet actually bad again? No. It was terrible. It was terrible. Okay, it the first up. time I was doing that on purpose. Oh, we know. It's, and then <laughs> it, it continued. It continued right down the line of breaking up. You didn't need to do it on purpose. No, That's, you don't. It's going to fail at some point. Um, I can't, can't believe it. Can, can we please call this Euro 21? You know, confuses me, this whole Euro 2020 and it's 2021. You can't, Craig? You got to go with what it originally was? No, it, just, it is kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing how many players that, that would have perhaps starred or at least made this team's last year lost their places. And how many players who perhaps wouldn't have made the squads last time out a year ago, some of the young kids in particular, are now going to make it and perhaps star. You know, a year is a long time in, in a footballer's career, especially in international football. So it really are strange, strange times. Um, could this be, Craig, one of those tournaments where it's really last man standing? These guys are tired. They're exhausted. And you wonder, depth is going to be perhaps more important this time around than ever before. Is that fair to say? Yeah, depth and uh, cohesion and just making sure that the players are interested because um, you've got a very short period of time. They're just coming off their seasons, regular seasons, and this whole COVID situation and, and having to deal with that um, just is very difficult. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see who has anything left. The coaches will be the ones with the most enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah, for sure. They're, they're dying for it, right? They've done nothing for a year, basically. Okay, sorry, Nations League, but nothing. Um, but they've got the warm-up games, of course. It's been games this last number of days. And, and Britt B, you watch a lot of football more than you probably should. Have you watched any of these things? I can't be bothered personally. Yeah, these tune-ups have been difficult. I find that there's too much football. And there was the under-21s. It, uh, it was too much going on. So I've I really enjoyed just seeing the uh, Fabrizio Romano updates at the end of the day on Twitter, just knowing you know who's in and who's out. But I feel uh, heartbroken for Trent Alexander-Arnold, who, uh, you know, if he bought into the media hype, thought he wasn't going to be in the squad, gets in the squad, and now he's injured. Sorry, B, have you ever said that before in your life? There's too much football? Because I didn't think that was possible for you. You and Dickio love watching every Bulgarian game against, you know, some other Bulgarian team. I don't know. Yeah. Longer, longer. It's nothing to do with that. There's not enough. It wasn't a, too much for Dunny. It's just too much for the players. Gotcha. <laughs> exactly. That's it. For the fans, it's great. It's like a big orgy of football the last year and a half, right? Yeah. I was talking to, a, talking to a big Premier League fan and the other day, and he's, you know, he's saying to his wife, uh, Oh, the Euros are starting. She's like, I thought it just ended. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, no, no, no. That's something else now. Hey, no Craig, break- what, what, do you, what do you make of these warm-ups? I mean, you've played in warm-ups before tournaments before. You know, the, the old adage is, well, you don't want to get hurt, so the guys aren't going 100%, but then you don't go 100% in the game, you might get hurt. What was your thoughts? Was it a waste of time? Uh, it all depended on what it was. I think right now it's a waste of time, or more so because – you're, there's no break, and again, coming out a difficult situation. Um, but if you got a bit of a break, and then you get in with your national team and you ease into it through a camp, then it becomes a little bit more serious. But at this present moment, you're just going through the shadow play. Really, you're just it's it's tough to get a lot out of the players. 
All right, let's get to it, shall we? Uh, who's going to win this damn thing anyway? Is there an overwhelming favorite, do you? I mean, obviously, the big boys are France. I think, uh, you know, Talented is the top favorite in, in a lot of rookies. Um, you got obviously Belgium, you got England, believe it or not, you got Spain, you know, you got uh, the usual guys essentially are still the favorites as they are. Does this one Ahem. jump ahead of you be for yourself? Portugal, I was going to mention Ahem. Portugal. Don't worry, don't you, worry. You ignore the longest reigning champions in the history of this tournament. <laughs> That's a good point. Ahem. And if this tournament was held in 2020 as its namesake, Portugal would not have been one of the favorites. And I believe when the groups were drawn, they were, you know, the third favorite to come out of the group. Uh, and the chances of, you know, them coming out of the group in this format, I think would have been considerably more difficult than the last time around, uh, when the 24 teams four years ago, five years ago. But you look at this squad now and I can't, honestly, I know that I'm biased, but I can't take them out of the favorites tag because I just think from top to bottom, there's so much talent. And it makes them, I think, really versatile, which is not something a Portuguese team has really had before. And you've watched Fernando Santos tinker and really experiment against different opponents. There's so many options with this team. You can leave out players that would not be left out of most Premier League teams or you know top sides in Europe. And you can do that to get someone else in, to single in on a one-on-one you know, uh, experience or one-on-one challenge with the opposition. And I just think that overwhelmingly that makes them better than most of the sides in this tournament. I think you're right. And normally you look at that group F and think, well, if there was only two going through, but with the four best third place finishers, it takes a little bit of pressure off because three of the top six favorites in this tournament are in group F. Yeah. So this is really, uh, I think, unfortunately for, well, I mean, Hungary, they could be spoilers here because they are playing at home. I believe so. Um, I don't see them getting out, though, hungry. They lost their best player. Talk about injuries. Sabbath's live from RB Leipzig. Now, confirming it's Hungary, France, Germany, and Portugal in the group of death. Um, and the third place is certainly a, a something to, to look, you know, to be hopeful for. But don't you think in this group, though, they'll be taking so many points off each other that perhaps the third place team won't come out of this group at all, right? You might. You, we're going to see likely... And a pre-tournament favorite not making a knockout round. Yes, that's absolutely right. Yeah, that could that could happen because again, Hungary could really play spoilers, and or the third place team doesn't have enough points to get out. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, you're right. B. The more I look at Portugal as I prepare for this tournament, the more I like them as well. I mean, they are they are deep at every position. And who would have thought a year ago that Ruben Diaz would enter it as maybe the best defensive player in the tournament after the you know, season he had. Ronaldo, who we thought, well, this could be one one too many for him, could be washed up by now, right? And he comes off a 29-goal performance in the Serie A. And obviously his, his role's changed, but is he, be, is he as important now as he was a year ago? Well, the team is better than it would have been a year ago. So I don't think that he has to be as impactful. And he, I, it, he certainly doesn't have to be the key Pete. And that, about the versatility, this is the thing, you know, uh, it's a lot of miles on that body. And as we saw at Euro 2016, when they removed him, I thought, oh, God, well, nothing can happen uh, without it going through Ronaldo. Um, they're, they're screwed. They don't have a chance in hell. And you would never say that now. In fact, they might even be more dangerous without him. It just allows for um, considerably more versatility to get some more guys involved. So I think from, from top to bottom, 
you could take a few of these guys out and they'd be fine. And Portugal has never been in that situation. Not too many nations are. So I, I think that, you know, Ronaldo's still going to be, there's so much respect in that change room. I think that might be, you know, that's one of the things that's debated for Portugal. Is that a setback that everything, you know, still kind of plays through Ronaldo? Maybe not tactically, but if the, if the guys in the room believe that it should, then it will. And they, you know, take some risks, maybe make some mistakes, try and feed some balls through that that are a waste in the end. Um, but I just think they're they're so deep and, and they can be dangerous from so many levels. Bruno Fernandez and Joao Felix, I think, are going to have more of an impact on this tournament than Ronaldo, but he's still going to beat Ali Dai's record and walk away um, with a handful of goals. Do, uh, does uh, the manager here know the best of his best 11? No. No, he does not. He does not. And I think that uh-huh. that's... Eh, I do think that that's a problem because tournaments are so short. He doesn't, he's not going to have time to kind of figure that out. And he doesn't know his best 11 because of the luxury of options that he has. Much the same way that, you know, we criticize Pep Guardiola really know his best 11. How far into his season before he knows his best 11? So, yeah, I realize that's a double-edged sword. I know I'm praising their versatility. I know that's a double-edged sword. Um, but I do trust with this side that <laughs> this is kind of hard to screw up from a manager standpoint, you know? But with the depth, you know, of these top teams, I wonder how many managers know their best 11s. Does, does Didier Deschamps know his best 11, Craig, given that he's just brought back Karim Benzema, who hasn't been a factor in the starting 11 for, what, five years now? Five you know, years, yeah. It really is probably going, a lot of these guys are going with their gut instincts. And then, as you mentioned before, with so little preparation time as well compared to perhaps previous years, fewer camps, shorter camps. Yeah. You know, it really is going to be just who happened to drive together at the right time. I think yeah, that's right. And, and there's also part of it that we don't see. And there'll be the whole team of coaches and people behind the scenes, staff that will be watching the players and, and, and seeing as well physically what they have left. So uh, some players might be brighter than others as well. So that might be a reason for making certain determinations on players on the day or, or as you approach game time. Who is your, your favorite team then? Is, is it coming out of this group or is it somewhere else? You say me? Yeah. Oh, uh, my favorite? I think France is favorite. Yeah, I think I see them as favorite. I think it's a, is a good one. But England as well, I think they've got a strong side. And But I think overall, if I was going to put my life on it, I had to pick France. Yeah, I'm with you. I hate that's kind of a boring pick, right? World champions, but they have that lovely balance right now, that youth with enough veterans um, coming through. I mentioned Benzema returning, you know, a guy that's just been on the biggest stage and succeeded. Every coach at Real Madrid loves him and starts him, right? So, so important. But the youth is there and, and that you can't dismiss that battle-hardened factor, right? They've done it before. They've won a World Cup, a tough World Cup. They have that inner belief, that swagger, right? That not many teams here would have, I wouldn't imagine. No, that's right. Going back, I mean, geez, I mean, it's over 20 years now. Before they won anything, they were sort of the great underachievers. And, geez, has that ever changed? And the attitude of the players and the winning attitude. I mean, they have had some internal problems over the history of the team, but this team looks pretty solid all the way through. I think it's just a case of what is he – what does he do with Benzema, uh, who came had a great season again? Uh, I think he's a great addition, and I think he's a, a good enough pro that I think that uh, he'll settle in. I don't know if I, I don't think he'll start, to be honest with you, but you never you never know. 
And Paul Pogba, right, arrives at a tournament and there isn't that much hype around him. He's a World Cup winner, but wasn't great this year, once again, at Manchester United. But for some reason, Paul Pogba seems to put that France shirt on and becomes this selfless warrior for his nation that perhaps United fans have been crying out to see for a very long time. So that's a guy that no one's really talking about, I don't think. Are they B? Is Pogba getting much press compared to the other players at this point? No, you're right. It doesn't seem like he's getting as much press and attention. But I also thought that that might have, you know, part of the fact that I don't know if France is as complete as, you know, we think. Talking about how star-studded they are, and yes, there's there's depth from top to bottom, but as a unit still, I feel like, I do feel as though Deschamps has a much more difficult time picking an 11, let alone his best 11. Finding out which players actually work well together just for this task at hand. But he found it out. I would agree with you. Yeah, yeah there, there's some, something there that uh, would worry me. I mean, even against the, the Turkish national team who beat them and I think they picked up four points on them. So, you know, there's uh, there's moments in a, in a knockout competition. You just wonder if they can stay the pace, but they have done in the past. And that's why I would I would say that they're okay with that. But um, with yeah. three, three years on from that World Cup team, though, you look at yeah. the reliance that would have been on Griezmann. I mean, I still think Mbappe, you can run everything through Mbappe. And Pogba should show up. Um, you know, but defensively, I don't know if he knows who his best center back pairing is. And if it, if Varane is involved, I don't know if, if Varane, you know, is, uh, as, as good as he would have been three years ago. So I just, I look at France and I look at Germany and I see so many question marks. Whereas, and again, admitted my bias, with Portugal, I just don't have the same list of questions. Yeah, I think Portugal is the, uh, I don't know, you, you mentioned your heart is going there and that can blind you sometimes, but they're kind of a, a cool hip choice, even though they're defending champions, because they have got a lot of young players who are kind of redefining that team and in looking ahead to the post-Ronaldo era. But I just look at that that battle-hardened part. And I know France's defense may be some questions, but my God, there's some good players there still. Right, Varane is still a very good player. You know, Kipkembe is not bad. Jules Kunde, I know we, we talked about him but yesterday, you and I, a little bit, and how he's a, a guy that could could be one of the stars, the young stars of this year's tournament if given a chance. You know, Lenglet hasn't had a great season at Barcelona, but he's a Barcelona player. So there's depth there, and you've got the old man Hugo Lloris, right? You know, directing traffic at the back. So I don't think it's a concern necessarily. I think we're kind of picking hairs here with, with the world champions who I don't think are any worse now than they were, was it three years ago you mentioned the World Cup? Yeah. It seems, seems more than that for some reason. I don't know why it's been as if the last year's dragged on. But uh, it's, I don't know, it's, it, there's those favorites. And, and Craig mentioned England, another team which, you know, we, we should get into a little bit because my heart gets just yanked and torn and pulled and it's just a, a mess. It really is. But I look at this team and I've been here so many times saying, why no, in the past they fell, but, but this team looks different. Something about them, and then it, <laughs> I know, right, Craig. But there's youth, there's kids in this team that have that, they have swagger. It seems they haven't got the old uh, England disease. I don't think. I'm not saying they're going to win it, but this is a, a World Cup semi-final team, right? Don't forget that. Admittedly, it was against a you know a pretty easy path to semi-finals, which is I think over over talked about. But this is a team with Harry Kane, who might be beside you know Robert Lewandowski, the most prolific marksman in Europe the last couple of years. You've got Mason Mount, a Champions League winner and a guy that bossed the Champions League. Phil Foden, a guy that Pep Guardiola reveres, right? And going forward, they're a fun team. Now, you want question marks. Well, there's your question marks in defense, perhaps. But 
Could it be, Craig? Could this be the year? Could it be the year that football's coming home? I think they got some creativity and they got something a little bit different. I Honestly, I sit there and I think, yeah, have we been here before? <laughs> I don't know if I've, I've ever been here at this level, though. I honestly think that this they're, they're going to be right there, thereabouts. Yeah. Mountain Foden. Foden is some player. Well, he could be the star of this tournament. He's got that ability, right? He could be. He's such a special player. I think, yeah, coming in, you know, the world is looking at Harry Kane and expects Harry Kane to be the most impactful player. But anyone who watches Man City and watched that run in the Champions League knows that it could easily, easily be Foden. Yeah. And at an international level, I think his style of play suits it perfectly. He's a Spanish Englishman. Yeah. Yeah, if you like, that's a good comparison. And there's an example. A year ago, Phil Foden probably wouldn't have been in the starting eleven. Might not have made the squad. You know, he, he was so young, was being, I think Pep's done a great job with him, moving him in slowly. And now he's obviously a key component of Man City. But, uh, you know, it, it's been very good for him. Reese James, a guy that wasn't even being discussed a year ago, is coming yeah. off a Champions League win when he was arguably the best player in the field. Right? So, you know, I think uh, there's a lot of potential here. Jack Grealish be your boy who actually looked really good in the last couple of friendlies. Now, I know I just dismissed the friendlies, and I will continue to dismiss them, but he did look quite good. And when he's healthy, I think he, he, he should start in that 11. I'm not sure at whose expense. That's, you know, that's Gareth Southgate's job. But boy, you know, a guy that I think this team's been looking for for a very long time. I think so too. And, and we said on a recent show, you know, the, the last window or a couple of windows, whenever it was with Grealish's injury, when he made his England debut and it looked like, oh, he could be the most impactful person, perhaps other than Kane. And then the last window was, like, oh, Foden, it could be the most impactful player. So that's, you know, that, that I think is the difference between this England side and say the World Cup team that, you know, went to South Africa in 2010, um, who was star studded. A lot of names seemed like the you know the last run for this golden generation. This is the first run for this golden generation, and that is very exciting for England fans. You know what's amazing now? I look at the, you know England and other teams. I mean, Jude Bellingham's a 17, 18 year old kid, right? Yeah. Who, who could walk into the starting eleven potentially? We're seeing more teenagers break through now at 17, 18, and we don't question that they should be in the team. Whereas you know even ten years ago, that was rare to see a kid that young. Why, why is it a younger man's game now, Craig, than perhaps it was a decade ago? Because that's the way it's kind of trending right now. Yeah. Well, I think back uh, not that long ago, uh, the physicality side of it came into play. So you get out-muscled, you're just physically stronger than them. And it still can to a certain extent. But being small, being slight, and knowing the game, and being a guy that plays like Grealish, who, again, is another one that really suits international football. Some of the older English teams, I think, suited Premier League football, but not maybe uh, international football. There's, you know, there is that slight difference. Uh, well, not slight. I think it's quite big, actually. So, and then you can play the referees more too, depending on where they're from around the world. You should know who your referee is and and all that. And I think that guys like Foden, Grealish can can do that well. Because it, it seems that when we look at this year's tournament, the names like you know Foden, uh, Pedri in Spain, Musiala in Germany, these are teenagers are being mentioned a- as much as the the tried and tested players. Whereas previously, you know the the Steven Gerrards or the the you know Kalinis or these guys have been there through it, but they were the stars of the tournament. Now, 
who'd be surprised if, if a 19-year-old kid became the face of this year's tournament? No one would be surprised. You know, I think it's uh, I think it's good for the game, quite frankly. And I think this this Euro this Euro is going to be ruled by the, the youngsters, by the kids, more than we've seen before. Yeah, I agree. And I think if you look at the last few tournaments, it's kind of been the same. Like 2016, Renato Sanchez, uh, who had earned a, a big money move to Bayern Munich just before the tournament. And had they not sealed the deal on that, they would have paid double for him. I know it didn't work out for him at Bayern, but he was incredible. He's back in the Portugal side. Talk about how great you know depth they are. Now a, a winner with Lille, along with Jose Font. Um, yeah, I think it's it's awesome and very exciting for the game. How many young stars there are, and uh, the, you know the faces of the game, the faces on the billboards will change. I was driving down the highway and saw Chiellini and Griezmann. I thought, who picked that? <laughs> yeah, no that kidding. Guy. I have some no. imagination, will you? Jesus. Have we yeah. given up on Belgium? I mean, how long is oh, it before these guys? The, the precious building, isn't it? The precious building on them. You know, are they going to be the great pretenders that never quite made it and they should have done? Um, but sure, they, they've got to be a favorite. Maybe this is the year, but you know, De Bruyne. Oh, uh, with, with, you know, I don't think this is the year because of the De Bruyne question mark. So they sad, not have them at all. Favorable group. I do think they're strong enough to get through the group, but you, you know. Put them up against Denmark, Finland, some of these and Russia other group. Yeah, Denmark, Finland, and Russia are their opponents. Will he come on with a Hannibal Lecter mask? You know, one of those plastic masks, and come in as a a savior. I mean, I had I had Belgium uh, a couple years ago or four years, whatever. Uh, the last I thought they were going to win, and they severely disappointed me again. And this is like three tournament. I'm just they, everyone talks about. Hey, this is their golden team. They're they're out to win. This is a championship team, and it, they never seem to pull it together. They well, lost to Wales in the quarterfinals yeah. at Euro 2016. The, and had they gone to the final, I think they would have beaten. Mm. They would have beaten Portugal. Mm-hmm. I think. Uh, bear in mind, the Bruyne obviously is a massive loss. Eden Hazard, who w- was the other talisman has just had a tr- terrible season at Real Madrid, right? Now, maybe Shadow. he can find something. He's not the same guy he was, right? So they're two of their key players. Are they the two best players who, who there's major question marks over? Um, Lukaku was brilliant. We know that for Inter Milan this year, but he's looking for a move out. Will he be distracted? Axel Witzel, who's been you know so important for that team for so long now, is, is coming off uh, an injury. He's getting older now as well. Um, I don't know. Alderweireld, uh, Vertonghen, you know, these guys aren't spring chickens anymore. So yeah. maybe the shines off Belgium a little bit. But that being said, no one's going to say they'd be surprised if they did actually finally get off their duck and win this thing. I would love to hear the Belgian equivalent of Footy Prime. And if they, you know, rave, <laughs> if they rave about the youngsters like we just spoke about England and say that about Yuri Tielemans. And um, there's another one off the top of my head that I know I'm forgetting. That's Are you telling me there's like a doppelganger in Belgium and there's a guy cooking, making pies? A new looky lucky. Looky lucky for James. Yeah. They're drinking <laughs> strawberry beer. Yeah. <laughs> but his, his name is Yimmy. It's Yimmy with a J. They do, do a puck time, Prime. A puck Prime. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned Tillemans there. I forgot about Tillemans actually in this conversation. And man, he might be one of those guys. You know, the transfer rumor mill is going to be going nuts over this tournament. It always does, right? Who, who's moving where? And Tillemans might be one of those guys who could have a very, very strong tournament and, and increase his. Right now, he's worth a lot of money. I don't know what he's worth, but he's worth a lot of money. But he could be worth a lot more money, that's for sure, coming up. But yeah. 
Belgium are, are a fascinating team. Um, let's take a break, shall we, Wonga, and then, and then come back and go over some other teams here. I want to talk about Italy a little bit, a little bit as well. Italy is a team that I think you can't call them a dark horse. They're, they're the Azzurri, but they're so much better now than had this tournament been played a year ago. So Italy and more on the other side. Welcome back to Footy Planet Podcast, Shaman Wong, Forrest and Dunlop here with you. Uh, I, I promised you we'd get some Italy, we'll get some Italy now. And as I said, this this is a team who a year ago would have been not even a dark horse, a team that was just trying to find its feet, weren't quite sure who the you guys were. The whole transition from the older guys to the younger guys, a few high profile retirements. And now a year later, after a pretty compelling Serie A season and Italy's a really really good team once again and I, I don't know if they're going to be a favorite per se they're in that conversation I guess with those the Englands and, and, and the Spains maybe but man there's some good young players coming through here and seem I think be to, to really work well with the old guard who are still there in some regards I don't know I look at this Italy team and unfair to say it's not it doesn't have the names that it used to, but I just don't see it with this Italian side. They remind me quite a bit of Portugal at Euro 2016, a bunch of kind of unproven names, so a handful of guys that you're aware of, um, but really so a lot of question marks. So really, I'm not that excited about this Italian side. Mind you, they could surprise me. Um, there are a handful of guys that can have a big impact and take over a game, Jorginho probably being the biggest one, uh, you know, and Chiellini at the back, I think, uh, hugely reliable defensively. They're not going to concede too too many goals um but they just don't excite me like teams of the past yeah but italy teams don't generally excite me but they're just good teams right and, and craig obviously they, they blew it in the last world cup didn't qualify but since then they qualify for euro with a perfect record scored lots of goals World Cup qualifying i know it's early doors and then played much but they, they've won their three games they seem to be italy once again getting it done when they're supposed to get it done Exactly. I, that's why I don't think we could ever like count them out because I, they're just surprisingly great at international football and tournament football, know how to get results and, you know, find their way through a tournament. Um, we've seen it happen so many times as well, not even just with them, but certain other teams too. Like a, your Portugal team from a few years ago, just finding a way in games that you just say, how did they get through that? So you're going to have to need a little bit of that. And I think they've got that. So. And without any clear-cut favorite, I mean, it could be one of those teams. It could be a Portugal or a team that just gets it done on the day. And yeah, they're pragmatic. Yeah, they're doing it the way they've always done it. But, you know, it's a short, it can be a short tournament, right? It actually happens more times than we actually think. When you like go to think about Greece and Portugal, when Portugal should have won, or you think they certainly had the best team. But it doesn't always matter if you're the best team or not. It doesn't always win the best team. So uh, we've seen it happen more often than we know, we just who is it going to be? Yeah, I mean, when when do the favourites generally win this tournament? It doesn't happen that often, does it? Right, you're right, you're right. And but I, I look at Group A: Switzerland, Turkey, and Wales, and I think that they're the favourites, and they're a team that really kind of wears the pressure and feels that that pressure, oftentimes you know more so than than some other sides. Uh, so I guess to me, it's like, yeah, looking at the squad and you're right that, you know, what Italian teams truly excite, but I think the team sheet often does. There's all, there's always a couple of players, you know, Del Piero to Balotelli that like really excite you and, you know, could take over a game. Look at the two guys I just mentioned. 
not not at all in that they won't take over the game in the same way. So I think mm-hmm. that's I think that's to me what makes them less appealing. But they, uh, yeah, I, I get that. But perhaps it's not. I'm not going to compare Chiro Mobley to Alessandro Del Piero. I mean, Del Piero entering what year was that? I forget now. When he was probably the best player in world football, he was incredible. But Mobley's a star, right? He scores 20 goals every year. He's very, very good. Um, a, a young kid like Locatelli could could come to the you know forefront here and and dominate a World Cup potentially. Alessandro Bastoni's like that. The future of the centre-back position for a team that's had Kalini and Panucci there for I don't know how many years now. So I just, I again, like Portugal, like, the more I look at Portugal, the more I like them. Look at Italy, and the more I look at them, the more I like them. And Mancini's got this team very happy and very loose, it seems. Often there's pressure, right, on Italy, but this time around, it seems the opposite. They're just having a good old time. And you give Roberto Mancini a lot of credit for that. No, I won't. I'm a Portuguese Canadian. <laughs> That's the reason. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. So, Craiger, I was wondering if I have to bet who's the dark horse, brother? Who am I b- winning big with? Because you gamble to, to, to go all the way and win this tournament. No, no. But if I, if you were going to say, hey, you know what? Watch out for uh, Macedonia or Northern oh, yeah. Macedonia. Like, who am yeah. I? Who am I cheering for? Just to, you know, have, have be on the other side of the fence and cheer for someone who's yeah. who's doesn't maybe have the history, but at least uh, you've seen some good things from. B, you guys and Sharms, tell me who who I should put my money down on. I would say I would go with the Turkish national side. A few mm. older players in that side, but they still had a really good year. Uh, they don't give up an awful lot of goals. They're coming out of that group. I see them going to the quarterfinals, and then after that was, you know, who knows? I like Turkey as well. That's a great pick. Denmark was a team people got excited about. Yeah. Yeah. Denmark have some pieces, and they could surprise, and um, I think their group is quite kind to them as well, right? They've... uh, yeah, Denmark, well, uh, Belgium, Belgium, Finland, and Russia. Russia is, is a decent team uh, on the, the right trajectory, but yeah, I think Denmark should be favored to come out of that group with, with Belgium, right? Is, yeah. is Putin is Putin playing like in the middle? He just puts himself in for Russia? <laughs> just like those hockey games? Wants. Just like those <laughs> hockey games, he scores hat tricks all the time? <laughs> All no, the you know, tune-ups and all the tune-ups he gets to play. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think though, Turkey and Denmark though are the consensus dark horses, aren't they? Per se, because yeah, Denmark's had a very good qualifying campaign for the World Cup, very good defense uh, as well, and you know you have a guy like Christian Eriksen who can on his day can can run a midfield, right? So I, I like Denmark a lot. We haven't really talked about Spain or Germany at all. And I don't want to get into too much depth here because, hey, it's Spain and Germany. Again, you never rule them out. And, and Spain's very much in that. I think Spain's transitioning from the old guard to the very young guard, and it's going to be very good, but maybe not this tournament. Germany, though, I, I wonder about Germany. I'm not yeah. sure what they are with Yogi Love's last tournament. He's brought back some old guys, which I'm surprised about, but we know how good the young kids are there as well. Germany could win this thing, couldn't they? <laughs> Germany could win this thing. 
I mean, uh, look at the way Kai Havertz played in the final. Um, I think Timo, Timo Werner has a lot to prove. He also may be considerably more comfortable in this environment. So you might see the Timo Werner that we saw at Leipzig instead of the Timo Werner that we he saw. He could at score Chelsea. eight goals, couldn't he? Absolutely. He could He could be the Miroslav Klose for this team. He really could. And he doesn't have to be uh, if that's not the case, if he's not on his day, because they've got Leroy Sané and Serge Gnabry and Ilke Gundogan. We'll, we'll find a few, I think. Um, the I think the engine for this team, who I'm really excited about, is Joshua Kimmich. Um, but uh, but I do think it's interesting to see that some of the old guys he's brought back, and if that you know ends up biting him, you know, can Mats Hummels actually be re- relied upon? Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited about Germany, but but I I, uh, I do rate them behind France and Portugal in that group. What do you uh, guys think about the format and playing in all these different cities? There's 11 different cities, right? Oh my god, wild. I think, I, it's, like it. I think it's the future. I think it's the future of the World Cup as well. I think it's the future of Olympic Games uh, down the road. Like, As long as England you know, ends up hosting semifinals and World Cup finals, I'm fine with it. It's a great idea. <laughs> Superb. But no, I, I like it too. I mean, listen, it's, it's, these things are too expensive for one nation to, to do themselves. right? It just is. There's, there's no, no reason why you can't you know, spread the wealth around Europe. I mean, for God's sakes, it's, it's, it's actually a great concept, I think. And it's too bad that some cities had to pull out because of COVID. But, um, you know, we're going to see fans back in the games and, and hopefully full capacity stadiums by the semifinals. I mean, how cool is that going to be? Yeah, that is going to be cool. I just feel as though it's it just feels irresponsible to do it in 11 cities in this this year, you know, to stick to the guns because they made the plan. I think, uh, you know, it's irresponsible. But that's of course it is. big money sport. <laughs> yeah, who gives a shit though? It's just lives. Come on. Uh, Portugal and Spain <laughs> have entered a, Portugal and Spain have entered a joint bid for twenty thirty, so they might not stick to this model. Um because I, I had thought that as well, that this wouldn't just be a one off, although they said it. Um, but who knows? Once they execute it, maybe they'll realize there was there's too much money to be made. I mean, there's games in Baku, right? Uh, if there was a full stadium, they would be raking in the money just like uh, Bernie and F one did. <laughs> that's right okay listen before we go we mentioned I will promise to talk about Canada Aruba one of the more famous wins in Canadian soccer history um, <laughs> I've seen the, the two words job done written in every single story about this so far and I guess what you're supposed to write I guess but Craig what what are we getting out of these games I know the format is tough for CONCACAF I get that but there is a huge gulf between Canada, who I know historically haven't been great, but them and these teams. I don't know what John Herman can gain from playing these games at all. I think the biggest thing he can get out of them is just the players are together and having some time together, having a lot of fun, scoring goals, gaining some confidence. That's all you can really get from it. Um, it's a difficult situation otherwise. Uh, the next game against Suriname will be different. Uh, it'll be a more of a test for sure. Um, it'll be interesting. That's a game worth watching. But overall, I guess, you know, I don't even know. Do these guys, I don't even know if the players even understand, like, how, wow, this is, this qualifying thing is quite something. When, when Canada, when Canada can play their B team and know they're going to win a match, with respect, it just, just shows you just, you know, the gulf in, in class between these nations, right? And I thought, you know, Canada did very well. The young guys that came in did their jobs very well, you know, what more can you ask of them? It was superb, but I don't know. I mean, I seven don't know what the solution is. Scorers, right? Sorry? Seven different goal scorers. Yeah. Do you think do you think that 
them winning these games, albeit against shit nations, is going to do enough of their confidence to help them when they play the real teams in, in the next couple of rounds. I mean, will they enter those tournament games against Mexico and the States and you know who, um, full of a swagger and confidence? Or do you think it's like, man, we know this is a different world now? Well, they have to respect them, uh, of course, but to have a little bit of swagger, there's no, nothing wrong with that. There's a bunch of our players that are coming off top league, you know, top couple of top five leagues in the world, titles, you know, top 16 mm-hmm. leagues in the world. Like it's, they should be really confident going in. There's no reason. There should be some pressure on them. I, I, I really think they have all the tools that you need in CONCACAF to be successful. You think there will be pressure? on this Canadian team to get to the World Cup now? Or will it be the same? Well, yeah, might get a few points against, you know, some of the lesser nations in that in that oct. But when push comes to shove, they won't have it. Or do you think there's an expectation, man, this team with these players should qualify? I think that there's a different mentality. I think that there's, a, with this group of players, uh, Alfonso Davies says he doesn't know anything else but winning. He's not even, you know, he's one with nine He's not 21 yet, is he? I don't think so. No. So he's won nine, nine, ten trophies. <laughs> like, <laughs> Amazing. I don't think he's going to be put under pressure. Although you put that on yourself because you, you want the result. You want to, you, know, you really like to qualify by right as opposed to getting a gift in 26. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, do you run the risk against Suriname? Because it seems as though they're going to play Fonzie at left back, um, where I don't think he can have as much of an impact in CONCACAF as he does in the Bundesliga. And do you, you know, run the risk of not being able to get the most out of him in that position? I think uh, this Suriname match is going to be a real test. Uh, I hope that they don't bottle it. Um, But I think that they're feeling a bit of that pressure already. And I mean, I expect them to to really challenge and qualify to challenge to qualify for Qatar 2022. And if they, you know, if they just miss out in the oct, then they'll say, you know what, what, uh, what a tremendous moment just to kind of get here. It's building great building blocks, but if they get into the oct or don't, if they get in and get thrashed and battered and beat, uh, beaten around, then I, it'll just feel like all the other disappointments really. You know, I, I think that, <laughs> I'm not comparing Suriname to Aruba and even the Bermuda that they played. Okay, I understand Suriname's better than those teams, but it's still Suriname. Can we stop giving this team too much credit? Like, yeah, okay, it's going to be more of a challenge. They're going to smash them. (laughs) Canada should smash Suriname. If we're honestly sitting here saying, oh, I'm a bit nervous about the Suriname game, what the fuck are we bothering for? Why are you going to try and qualify? (laughs) We have to stop this. And just start being a bit of have a bit of self belief behind this team. They're going to smash Suriname on Tuesday. It might not be eleven nil or seven nil, but they're going to smash them. It's going to be three or four, maybe five. See, and this is why you've always been the mentor. Always been there to, for affirmation to make me feel better about myself and the things that I love. So here we go. <laughs> I should stop being so pessimistic. I should put the Portuguese ness aside. Not just you, B. It's right. not just I'm, I'm seeing it everywhere right now. Oh well, Suriname, man, they're they're legitimate. They're it's Suriname. It's the unknown. No, they're, oh, their players play in second division Dutch football. Oh well, in that case, watch out. <laughs> well, B, here's your chance too to win that ten bucks back from Craig that I don't think you ever paid him. No, I haven't um, paid him. I haven't seen him. Yeah. So, Craig, why don't you set the number for goals for <laughs> Suriname? Right. 
I think it's going to be tight, boys. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah. Well, why don't you let Charmin set the total at 14 and a half? Because he's too, he's too biased. He's so angry. <laughs> I'm going to say 3-2 three, three, Canada. 3-2 three, three, Canada. Yeah, I think, honestly, 2-0 Canada. I think. If it's not four, I'll be stunned. Four what? Nil. Four, four nil. Okay. Yep. I'm going five nil. I do believe Charms is uh, boy. Boy. anger. I'm going with him side just because hey. so much enthusiasm I, and energy. I know my CONCACAF. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know about Suriname. Speaking from a place of uh, expertise here. <laughs> All right. Well, three, two. Craig's been on a bit of a heater recently in this picks. So that concerns me a little bit. But uh, you should see you in season. <laughs> Do you think that will get more more exposure across the mainstream networks or the fact that Euro is starting a few days later? Euro. Yeah, probably right. The only way it gets any news is if they if something goes bad, horribly wrong. And then it'd be all over the news. Oh, a chance to piss all over Canadian soccer. Great, let's do it. Yeah, I honestly think that that's it. I don't think anybody's really paying attention right now. Nope, I agree. Although I watched I agree. the highlights. Those guys looked like they were having a blast out there. Oh, yeah. You know, like back to you saying, Craig, just the camaraderie and playing together and hanging out. That must be a blast. Yeah. yeah I must admit, when David came on with Fonzie and then Carl there, and it's like, oh, you know what? All right, good. <laughs> this should be a bit of fun now. What was it? Three goals in, in under 20 minutes, right? I think it was. Yeah. yeah I right. wondered if the Aruba players were, you know, looking around like, what did we ever do to you as a country? Well, that, that goalkeeper was horrible, wasn't he? Hey, Craig? <laughs> Jesus. I, I would imagine that most of the players on Canada didn't even know Aruba was a country. <laughs> no, they thought it was a, a Beach Boy song, as we've already discussed, right? I like how you brought it all back to the Beach See? Boy song. I like that, I'm a Charles. Veteran it's like you're host. a professional. Professional. <laughs> Actually, they're playing everybody in that song, aren't they? That's right. Oh, it might be, yeah. Jamaica. <laughs> um, <laughs> whoever it was, it is. <laughs> Bermuda, oh, oh United States, <laughs> Honduras, Panama, uh, so on and so forth. Suriname. So, so there we go. Talk about the bit, the marketing drop that Concacaf should have made Aruba by the Beach Boys, the anthem of the region. <laughs> they should have done. All right, listen, guys. Um, it's just a few days away. Of course, we will be very visible to you throughout euro we are going to be having a, a, a mini kind of footy prime light every day uh we'll have more information about that and uh, a new partnership very shortly and uh the rest of us will have some other i guess appearances to be discussed and announced later this week so uh we can't wait it's gonna be fun isn't it guys euro is always fun it's always a great tournament even when portugal win on that note thank you very much wonga B, Craig, cheers for joining me and cheers for listening, boy.